today we're actually starting a new sermon series called Hot Topics. Are you all excited about Hot Topics? And so this month we're looking at topics like is abortion sin? Uh, We're looking at did God design gender? Um, Why are we afraid of death? Uh, And what is God's design for sex and marriage? And so it's going to be a hot, hot, spicy month. Um, But they are hot topics, but they weren't always hot topics. Um, In a sense that there was a time very recently where almost everybody uh, agreed on these topics, um, but they've become somewhat heated lately. And what we want to do is, is determine, were we wrong then or is the world wrong now? That, that's what we want to look at. And uh, they're also called hot topics because, listen to me, as you, uh, as you let God transform your life that, and light a fire in your heart for His purposes above your own purposes and above your own plans and desires, you will experience so much more joy, so much more peace and power and fire in your life and in your relationships. Come on, you'll live a life on fire. Amen. And uh, so, so this whole month is about us lining up our lives with God's Word and, and, and saying we don't want to line up God's Word with our lives. We want to line up our lives with His Word. Amen. And so, so we're going to pray. Are you ready to pray? Awesome. Awesome. Reach out your hands in faith if you just want, if you want to receive from God today. And again, I say that every week, but, but we didn't come here to just hear from some guy on stage. We came to hear from the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we all come before you having sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we know that we've been justified by your grace as a free gift uh, through the redemptive work of Christ Jesus. And we know none of us are perfect. None of us will ever be perfect this side of eternity. But we thank you that even in our imperfection, you still welcome us all in your house. And we thank you that it's not our behaviour that determines your love for us. But Lord God, that, that we, we, we do though, we know that some of our behaviours and some of the things that we do don't honour you. And as believers, as your children, we want to honour you. We want to live our lives uh, in pursuit of your call, in pursuit of your design and your purposes for our lives. And so Lord, as we explore these hot topics, uh, <clears throat> help us to lay down our opinions. Help us to lay down our feelings. Help us to lay down our, our preconceived ideas and misconceptions that we could pick up the truth and the purpose of God found in your word, help us to hear your word. Help us to pursue it over popularity or social credit. And because God, we want to serve you and we want to seek you and we want to honour you in all areas of our lives, especially in these hot topics. So God, we want to be part of the reason that Iowa, that the United States and that the world turns back to you. So God, use us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Someone say, Amen. Amen. Come on, would you high five three people with a blood drawing high five and take your seats. Yes, yes, yes. Only three, I said. I'm not... Okay, four. Boom, come on. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Someone say, all righty then. You got any Ace Ventura fans in the house? Yep, I learned the hard way. Don't watch it with your kids. It's not as, not as appropriate as you remember. Mm-hmm. So, all righty then. <laughs> Anyone else find that? You watch a movie and you're like, man, this is nowhere near as appropriate as I thought it was in my head. What were my parents thinking, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that happens to me once a month. So anyway, hey, today as I preach, I want you to preach with me. All right, preach with me. We come to church to preach a sermon together and to experience the whole counsel of the Word of God. Amen. But before I preach today on abortion, um, I want to share my journey with you on why I started to be more vocal about hot topics and sensitive issues. And um, some of you will have noticed over the last 18 months a change uh, in me where I'm a bit bolder and, uh, and willing to speak to things that maybe in the past I was afraid to speak about or didn't feel the need to speak about or whatever, right? And, and so I want to share just for a moment um, what that journey is. Now, I, I also need to pre-warn you that this is going to be a long sermon. Now, sometimes I say I might go over and then sometimes I don't. Listen, I am going over today. And, uh, but here, I need you to stick around for the start, the end, and the middle. All right? Uh, I need you to be here for the whole thing. And, and part of the reason is usually I have 3,000 words written in my notes, and that's a sermon that will last, you know, that, that sometimes goes over by a minute or two. Uh, this week I've got um, about 3,800 words plus a video. And, um, and so we cut a song out at the start, um, and, uh, but we're still going to go over, and uh, that's okay. This week, it's, the reason this week's sermon is going to be longer than a normal one, than, a nor- than the rest of the hot topics, is because I also want to give you the longest introduction ever, okay? And so I want to give an introduction to why we're doing hot topics as well. And, so, and now I just gave you an intro to the intro, and that should give you an idea of how long this sermon's going to be, all right? But listen to me, if you stick around uh, and if you keep a good attitude, even when the pastor goes, probably the service might end about eight minutes to 10 minutes over time. If you stick around for it, listen to me, it will change your life and it will empower you to live a firm, a life firmly planted on the Word of God. Amen? Awesome. So let's talk about that. Now, the journey for me started last year. Last year was super stressful for me, uh, and it was also super stressful for every church leader in the country, okay? It was stressful for every business leader in the country as well. Now, I know that last year was stressful for you, and it was stressful for everybody else, um, but it was particularly stressful and difficult if you lead people. It was the worst, right? I told God, God, I'm here for it, but we ain't doing this again, you know? And uh, it was stressful. See, here's the thing. If you lead people, last year you had three choices. Everyone can hate you for being silent. Everyone can hate you for being compliant. Or everyone can hate you for being defiant. They were your options. You were going to be hated for, your si- for being silent or for being compliant or for being defiant. But either way, a third to two thirds of everybody was going to hate you and tell you. They weren't okay with, I hate that guy. They were like, I hate that guy. I'm telling him why. I hate you. And they'd inbox you on Facebook, on Instagram. They'd email you. They'd they'd somehow find your text message. They'll find your number. And you found out last year very quickly that no matter what you did, there was a portion of the world that was going to hate you. Now, one day I was so stressed out, you know, I'd got to the point where I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm stressed out. Uh, I know they hate me and because of that and they hate me because of this bit and they hate me because of this bit. And, uh, and, and I'm like, man, I just, I just want to let off some steam. I'm like, maybe, could I just like stab three of them? You know, like not in the neck or the heart or anything, nothing mortal, you know, nothing, nothing that'll kill it, but just enough to like release a little bit of pressure. Tuh! Get away from me. And I was getting stressed out. I'm kidding, all right? I didn't really want to stab anyone. I only thought about it and quickly realized it was sin. 
all right? But no, I, again, relax, I didn't. But, but like I got really, really stressed and really, really frustrated and really, really disappointed, okay? And one day I was really stressed out and my wife, Lauren, she knew and, and uh, she was home earlier than I was that day and, and, uh, and she'd been praying for me and she knew that I was stressed and she had, um, she had run a hot bath for me and she'd filled it with bath salts and stuff and I get home and she's like, you need to go relax in a hot bath full of bath salts, very manly moment in my life. It was a very manly experience. Listen to me. Listen to me. You think that sounds girly. No, no, no. Listen, when you lift as much weights as I lift, your muscles need the salt. So you need to relax in the salt, all right? When you hunt like I hunt and expand all that energy, you need the bath salts to, to just fix the damage that you've done to your body, says the man preaching in a pink shirt, all right? So it's a very, very manly experience, all right? That's, that's what real men do after lifting all of the, like all the weights got lifted that day, all right? So anyway, I'm up there. I'm in this beautiful manly salt bath that smells like lavender. And I put on worship music and, and, I, and I started uh, just worshiping the Lord uh, in the bath there. And, and I, I was praying and, and I was reading my Bible and, and after about 30 minutes or so of just really just praying and really just worshiping the whole time, I heard God speak so clearly to me. God said, Jesse, if you're going to get hated anyway, why not get hated for telling the truth? He said, it's time to open your mouth. Be bold, speak up. I've got you. That word from God was like a weight that just fell off my shoulders. See, the weight that I'd been carrying, it wasn't a weight God put on me. The weight was, well, what do I have to do to keep that third happy? What do I have to do to keep that third happy? What do I have to do to keep that third happy? And it was such a heavy weight. But that was the moment that God said, you can stop caring about what she wants you to preach and what he wants you to preach and what they want you to say and take my yoke and my burden because, hey, the burden of the world is heavy, but come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light and when I gave up trying to please them and them and them and said God what do you want me to do his burden was light and at that moment I just it's like a release in my heart as the weight fell off my shoulders I started to tear up in my manly lavender bath and I yelled out to Lauren Because when God gives me a word that's going to be difficult, I always make sure to tell someone in the moment so when the moment's passed and the pressure begins, that someone's there to hold me accountable to what I said God said. That's why I tell you every single month, basically, that we have been called to this church for 30 to 35 years, for a long time, not just a good time. Amen. And so that's why I say, oh, hello. What was that? did you put there? And so I shared it with my wife. I said, Lauren, God told me it's time to open my mouth. She knew what that meant. We talked about that for years. I'd said, the time will come when God says, Jesse, open your mouth. Maybe God had been saying it for a long time and I'd been ignoring it and I'd been too scared of the consequences of opening my mouth. But here's the thing. When I realized the world's going to hate you anyway, they hated Jesus first. You may as well tell the truth so you can bring freedom 
and power and hope into people's lives. And every time after that, for months, every time I began to worship the Lord, every time I began to pray, every time I opened my Bible, all I could keep thinking of and seeing is Nehemiah building a wall with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. And every time God speaking to my heart, Jesse, you need to read Nehemiah again. And then I'd read it, Jesse, you need to read Nehemiah again and again and again. So I started reading it over and over and over. And the story starts with this. Nehemiah says, Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the exile. And I asked concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there, the leftovers, those who remain, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile are in great trouble and great shame. And the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That's Nehemiah's story. As I read that story, God spoke to my heart and said, Jesse, the walls of my church are destroyed and its gates are destroyed by fire and my people are in trouble. You need to rebuild the wall. And that's when my journey began. God, what is the wall? God, what are the gates? God, what has happened to your church? Not just, not like our church, not like Iowa church, but the church. The walls are destroyed by fire and my people are in trouble. And every time I read the story of Nehemiah, I kept seeing the story, I kept seeing all the different ways that the story aligns so perfectly and so prophetically with the church in 2020 and now 2021. And as I started opening my mouth and standing on the truth for things like how the church should stay open and we got heat and we got hate and we had to talk about that with a trowel in one hand and a, and a sword in the other hand. And then I'd go back and I'd read again and again and again. And every time I went to the, to, to the story of Nehemiah, I'd find a, a, a new area where it prophetically aligns with what's happening in, in the church today. <clears throat> every Thursday and Friday, I, I have set aside to preach, uh, to prepare my sermons. I don't take appointments. If, in fact, usually I don't even have my phone on me. So you might be like, hey, I've got a million dollars to give you. I won't know probably till Saturday because I like to stay focused on the Word of God and the message I'm bringing on Friday and on Thursday. But here's how it happened over those six months after July, August, July, sorry, July, August, September, October, November, December, even January a little bit, that every time I sat down on Thursday to prepare a sermon that I knew I had coming, I'd end up reading Nehemiah again. God would be like, read Nehemiah again, read it again. And then I'd end up texting people and calling people and telling them, hey, this happened to me today. This is what the Lord said today. And if you knew me, if you were around me for those six months, it's about all I talked about. Out to anybody. I'd come to staff meeting, let's talk about that wall, let's talk about this, what are we doing? And over time, I ended up having to prepare my sermons like Friday afternoon and most of all day Saturday as well for, for, for a few months there. One day I was rereading the story and I saw this. Melchijah, ruler of the district of Bethacharim, repaired the dung gate. Everyone say dung gate. That's the poop gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And God told me that part of the reason the walls are destroyed 
is because the church has a broken dung gate. The church has this big, beautiful, welcoming entrance. The church has amazing, wonderful buffets and food. Beautiful people everywhere you go. Uh, But we hadn't paid any attention to the dung gate. And the dung gate was broken. See, listen to me, church. Without a functioning dung gate, without a good system for dealing with the poo and the stinky stuff, you end up with sickness in your city. If your dung gate isn't secure, all sorts of ideas and corruption can fester in your city. All the garbage that's supposed to be removed and and let out the dung gate will stay in your city and begin to cause bitterness and division and sickness. And you need to get the dung out. You You need the dung gate properly fastened so that you can open it and push out bad theology and push out bad belief systems and push out bitterness and brokenness so that you can see clearly the goodness and the wholeness and the righteousness and the life-giving theology that God would have us preach and talk about. There's no point having a beautiful and secure entrance if the dung gate is broken. There's no point having gorgeous painted walls if the dung gate is in disrepair. The dung gate represents the things we don't enjoy talking about the hard stuff, the hot topics. The, the mercy's great, but also the justice of God. The love's great, but also the righteousness. The hard stuff. It stinks. It's messy. You can't come away from the dung gate without poo on you. Come on, you spend some time at the dung gate. It's going to drop on you or someone going to throw it at you. You don't want to do it. You don't want to go there. You don't want to spend time on it. You don't want to fix the Dungate. But without it, the city gets sick. So this October, we're working on the Dungate. We got great walls, great stuff going on. But we got to spend some time in the dung gate. It's not always fun. All anyone who shares a post about what we're talking about in October will get some poo thrown at you on your social media. You'll get some poo thrown at you at your workplace. You will not leave this sermon series without some poo on you. Turn to your neighbor, say, get ready for the poo. Come on, I saw some people say nothing. I said, get ready for the poo, right? Listen to me, I'm not saying that people who are struggling in these areas are the poo. I'm saying the vitriol that comes at us is the poo. You can't deal with hard topics without starting to get a bit of dung on you. We just got to make sure the dung doesn't get in us. Amen. Amen. Now there's three reasons. Oh, sorry, but it's not always fun, but it will make our city and our church and our families stronger, healthier, more vibrant, and more positioned to receive God's favor. Amen. So three reasons for working on the Dungate. Get your notepads out today. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to take notes today. So get your notepads out. Get your note app open. Um, We don't just want to come to church and have a good time on Sunday. We want to remember some things on Monday. Amen. But three reasons for working on the Dungate. Number one, to protect the church and future generations from the sickness of an easy, fake, counterfeit Christianity that has no power. We have to work on the Dungate. We don't want to save people from a filthy city into a filthy city. 
We want them to experience life change and transformation. Amen. Number two, to bring clarity around doctrine and God's design so we can pursue His plans for our lives even when it hurts. Amen. We don't just, we don't want to, we don't want to have a church that just blows with the wind. We don't want to have a church that gets sucked away by culture. See, last, the last two years, it's like the church and culture is sort of starting to separate. But in the last two years, it was like culture went, just took off the other way. And the church has to say, we didn't go with them. We're not doing that. We don't agree with that. Here's the truth. Amen. We need to put anchors in the ground, provide clarity. It broke my heart when I realised that the outcome of many years of me not paying attention to the Dungate was that some people thought our church believed things we do not believe. There was sickness. That's on me. Number three to provide you and your family with truthful and loving language so you can stand firm and effectively communicate the truth in hard situations. So today we're dealing with abortion on week one. I was like, you know what? Why just slowly lead into this? Let's just jump head first into the poo on week one, all right? So we're just jumping right in today. It's gonna get a little messy. You might get a little bit of heat from some friends and families, but you will be in line with the favour of God and the favour of God will give you favour with the men and women that you should have favour with, amen? So we're gonna go there today. Um, Like I said before, we need to bring clarity because some people don't know. I even had questions this week. Does the Bible say anything about children in the womb? And I was like, oh, see, people don't even know. Now listen to me, if you come to any of these hot topic sermons having had an abortion or dealing with gender confusion or having been involved in gay marriage or, or having been divorced or having <clears throat> been you know, financially bankrupt or, or having been involved in bad relationships or any other number of hard things, you need to know this. Number one, God loves you. God loves you. You are loved. You are dearly loved. Amen. Number two, Eternity Church loves you. We are not here to shame you. We love you, okay? This is not a sermon to make you feel bad, but to release you into a greater tomorrow, amen? And number three, I love you, all right? I don't like the dungate. It stinks. And when we preach and when we repair the dungate, nobody gets more poo on them than I do, all right? I don't like it. Sometimes I throw poo at myself when I'm at the dungate, all right? Because it's not fun, all right? I, I, I love you. But these are topics that will bring freedom and wholeness to your life. Amen. And I do love that we have a church that amens the love and the grace as much as the truth. Because we're a grace and a truth church. And I love that our church amens the grace loudly and boldly. So thank you. Romans says, There is no shame or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as believers, we don't want there to be shame or condemnation coming from those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We're here to look at what we should all do moving forward, how we can honour God in the tough areas of our lives tomorrow. We're not here to shame anyone for what you did yesterday, okay? But simply to answer the question, what would God have me do in my life moving forward so that I can live my best life, so that I can be most effective for the kingdom of God and that I could change the world God put me in. Amen. So we're going to look at abortion and we're just going to jump headfirst right into it, okay? In every abortion, there's at least two people involved, two victims, the baby and the mother. 
Now, some churches spend all of their time trying to shame the mother and make her feel bad. Can I tell you right now, like people say, well, abortion's murder. That's why we shame them. Listen to me. If you were in this room and you actually did six years ago murder somebody and come and tell me right now, I wouldn't tell the cops. They'd have to beat that out of me, all right? I don't want to shame you. I'd be like, I'm glad you ain't doing that anymore, right? Yep, good. Let's go. You hear what I'm saying? Sorry, I'm pointing at you. He's not a murderer. <laughs> well, well, he hadn't told me. And so, and so do you know what I'm saying? Like, so people say that, like, we just ain't going to shame you. All right? We're moving forward. To any woman who's had an abortion, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You are a new creation. Amen. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? But we didn't come here to talk about what we always talk about every single week because we talk like that every week, don't we? Grace upon grace upon grace. And I'll probably stop this sermon 15 to 20 times and say grace upon grace upon grace. But we came here to talk about this question. Is abortion sin? Yes, it is. In every circumstance. There is massive, overwhelming biblical evidence to prove that God views abortion as sin and as murder. And yet all sinners can confess their sin, be forgiven, accepted, healed. God gives them a clean record. Amen. We don't want to use his grace as an excuse to do wrong. Yeah. But what I want to do is just look at some statistics and some scientific evidence. And then we're going to spend some time looking at the word of God. There are hundreds of scriptures that affirm this pro-life stance. um, But I'm only going to share uh, about five or six specific ones with you today. Because again, like I said, my sermon's already way too long. And um, we don't have 15 hours. But we'll just, maybe if you ask for some more, uh, we can share them with you. What I want to talk about though is that pro-abortion advocates often use outliers as the justification for hard things. And so what we want to do is we want to talk about some of those outliers that they will throw at you, some of the arguments they'll throw at you and how you can effectively, kind, lovingly, but effectively just say, no, that, that's, that's not right. Let's talk about this, you know. And they often throw outliers as justification for hard topics. Like in gender, they use hermaphrodites, people born um, with a physical disability to justify gender being a choice, when in actuality it's 0.0018% of the population that have that, that, have, um, that live with gender, uh, well, sorry, um, as a hermaphrodite. That's very low. And a lot of them don't even know. And in abortion, they use rape and incest as the justification for abortion. But in actuality, less than 0.15% of abortions in America are due to rape or incest. Now, of course, rape and incest are horrible, filthy, disgusting, terrible wrongs to be done to a person. Of course they are. That is evil. And the devil wants nothing more than to destroy your life with some pain like that. But one sin should never justify more sin, ever. A child conceived in rape doesn't deserve the death penalty for their father's sins. That child could be adopted by another family and dearly loved. Dearly loved. But even medical intervention abortion is less than 0.03% of abortions. And oftentimes what that is, is actually not ending the child's life, but saving the mother's life. And they try to save them both, but one doesn't make it. And that is less than 0.03% of abortions. 
So shall we talk about what abortion really is? Because what really constitutes 99.6 something percent of abortions is a choice. All of it based on this. When does human life begin? Jeremiah says, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you and anointed you as a prophet to the nations. Isaiah 49, Isaiah says, The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, the Lord called my name. David said in Psalm 22, From my mother's womb, you have been my God. When does life begin? Let's look at a little video of conception and the nine months gestation of a little baby. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support Eternity Church, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That will help us reach more people to share the good news with. Thanks so much. Now back to the message. The biggest issue with pro-abortion advocates and pro-abortion people is they have to find an imaginary line somewhere in that video to delineate between this being a human baby and non-human. That's the biggest issue that they have. See, the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah and King David, God knew them in the womb and called them by name and assigns a purpose for their lives, appoints destiny, anointed them for for a calling. And that's not just true for them, it's true for you as well. Before you were born, God predestined good works for you to do. He, He planned things for you to do. God wanted to bless you. And it's not just true for you, and it's not just true for Jeremiah, Isaiah, and David. It, it's also true for Jesus, your Savior. In Luke chapter 1, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord and Savior should come to visit me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. See, when when Jesus was in the womb and when John the Baptist was in the womb, the Spirit of God on the baby John recognized the Spirit of God in baby Jesus and the baby leapt for joy. Leapt for joy. This is the scripture that broke my heart. Years ago, I was preaching it, maybe three years ago, I'm not sure when. I was preaching it on stage and and I was reading this scripture and and in the middle of a sermon, middle of a Christmas message, I I realized that that the babies in the bellies recognized the anointing and the Spirit of God in each other. And it broke my heart and I realized that my years, years and years and years long silence on the issue was wrong. Sin. That if anyone had an excuse not to have a baby, it was Mary. The baby wasn't from her fiance. 
She wasn't married. She didn't have heaps of money. This isn't the story of someone who got married and diligently planned their finances, purchased and paid off a home and finished their studies and then got together and said, honey, we should have a baby and planned it. And then they said, let's start a family at a point in our lives where our mothers and our fathers will will support us. No, it wasn't opportune. Same with Elizabeth. She was way too old to have a baby. The other woman in the story, way too old to have a baby, way too tired to care for and raise a little baby. And yet the Spirit of the Lord was on that baby and they both chose to do the right thing. And the call of God was on the children in their wombs. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb recognised the anointing in the Spirit of God on the baby in Mary's womb. See, the Word of God shows us that babies in the womb are loved and ordained by God. And science shows us time and time again, especially now with imagery, that that, that babies are humans, that fetuses are humans, that embryos are human babies. We, We know it, it's clear, the science supports it, it always has. But still, pro-abortion people try to draw this invisible line where somehow what was a tumour yesterday is now a child today. It was a tumour yesterday, but today it is a human. Or they believe that humanity is a situational thing. We live in a world that supposedly trusts the science But whenever it's not in their best interests, like in the case of sexuality or gender or abortion, they completely ignore the science. But God's Word and science both together reaffirm and confirm that these babies are alive, that they have value, that they feel pain, that they can recognise their mother. And then when they hear a man like me say a thing like that, they say, here we go again, another man trying to control my body. I had someone tell me they're sick of old white men trying to pass laws about a woman's body. Well, firstly, when Roe v. Wade was before the Supreme Court and they made abortion legal in the United States, that was a court of all men. Just FYI. So I said to this lady, who's still a friend, because we weren't having an, a fight, we were having an argument, okay? And, and, and so we had this argument, and I said, listen to me, hey, your husband is white. What's your problem with white guys? And FYI, in 20 years, he'll be an old white man. <clears throat> the very epitome of what you don't seem to like, right? And I was like, all right. She's like, yeah, fair enough. I said, so let's do this. Let's play a game for a second. What if Barack Obama, a black man, an old black man, signs the law to say that abortion is now illegal in the United States? Would that be okay since it was not an old white man? And she said, no, of course not. And I said, okay, so you just threw that race thing in there just for fun then. She's like, okay, perhaps it had nothing to do with that. She goes, I just, what I mean is I just don't think that an old man should be able to tell a woman what to do with their body. I'm like, okay, then let's just go another step further. What if a young 
Barack Obama. First term, quite a young man. What if a young Barack Obama signed a law saying that abortion should be illegal in all the states of the United States? Would that then be okay since a young black man signed the law? And she said, well, no. I guess what I really mean is I don't think men should be able to make laws about a woman's body. And I said, okay, cool. Let's go another step further. What if Michelle Obama signs a law saying that abortion should be illegal in all states of the United States? Would then it be okay since a young black woman signed this law? And she said, no, of course not. And I said, well, you threw all these identity politics at us. Instead of talking about abortion, you wanted to make it about race. Instead of talking about abortion, you wanted to make it about gender. Instead of talking about abortion, you wanted to make it about age. But the truth is, it is actually you want something that someone else disagrees with. You're angry about it. You don't want to talk about it. So you talk about these things instead. Can I tell you right now? Abortion has nothing to do with man versus woman, black versus white, old versus young. Listen, I want more men on this planet and more women on this planet. And I want more black people on this planet and more white people on this planet and more Hispanic people and more Asian people. And I want more old people and more young people. It's got nothing to do with those things. It's about what's right and what's wrong. The whole topic is about that. It's not about this or this or this or this or this 0.001. It's about this. Is it right or wrong? And sometimes people will then say to me, well, abortion is about a woman's right to choose whether or not they want to reproduce or not. And I'm like, yep, okay. Um, abortion is not about reproductive rights. It's about changing a decision you already made. See, sex is when we make the decision about reproduction or not. And everyone knows that sex is about reproduction. God, that's why God made it so good. Because in the beginning, He said, increase and multiply. And to make them want to do that, I'm going to make this feel good. That's God did that, right? And everybody knows that's what it's about. Everybody knows that, right? And, and now you might be like, well, I know this one lady who was in the, you know, in the backwoods, hidden in Podunk, Missouri. No, listen, stop talking about the 0.0000001. Let's talk about abortion. Everyone knows that sex gets people pregnant. Listen, nobody's like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. How in the heck did that happen? Right? No, everybody knows. And it's already illegal to deny a man or a woman that choice. It's already illegal to take away someone's right to choose whether or not they want to have sex. That's illegal, will stay illegal, and will and needs to stay illegal. It is a heinous crime to remove that right from a human being. You get to choose. You get to choose. But again, talking about 99.65% of abortions because we don't want to use the outliers to justify 60 million abortions, right? No one gets pregnant. It's like, how in the heck did that happen? Listen, I've got five kids. I know how it happened. Admittedly, the last one, I was like, oh, crap. But I knew how it happened. 
it happened because I'm so fine, my wife couldn't keep her hands off me. That's how it happened. Someone say amen for me. Yeah, good, 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 good. But I knew how it happened, hello. I was like, oh, I know when that happened. Come on. They know how it happened. And they had a choice whether or not they were going to do that thing that makes that happen. So let's go back to the baby in the womb. A baby's life has value in the womb. Exodus 21 says, Now suppose two men are fighting. This is the word of God. Now suppose two men are fighting, and in the process they accidentally strike a pregnant woman, so she gives birth prematurely. How cool is it the topics that the Bible has approached, right? If no further injury results, the man who struck the woman must pay the amount of compensation that the woman's husband demands and the judge approves. But if there is further injury, the punishment match match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. We're not just talking about a clump of cells, but a life with tremendous value. If a woman had a, had, had a premature birth, but everything else was fine, caused by an accident, a fine was levied and we were moving on. But if the mother or the baby died, the punishment had to fit the crime. So let's talk about the hypocrisy of abortion. And again, let me pause again, because we've been heavy for a moment. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. If you had an abortion on Saturday, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what we should do moving forward on Monday. Okay, I'm not here to shame you for yesterday's actions. I'm here to encourage you to pursue God's plan tomorrow. Okay, that's what we're doing. We're looking at tomorrow. So let's look at the hypocrisy of abortion in 38 states in the United States, in 38 states in the USA have fetal homicide laws. That means if I commit a crime that results in the death of an unborn child, the punishment is enhanced substantially. But at the same time, in every single one of those states, abortion is legal. So killing a baby is either a crime or a protected right, depending on who wants to kill the baby. The hypocrisy of the world says, if the mother wants to give birth, the baby's life is extremely valuable, of infinite worth. But if the mother does not want to give birth and does not want to be, have her life dictated to by a child, then that baby's life is completely worthless. How does that make sense? In some places like Victoria, where I grew up, a baby can be killed up to the day of birth. At that literally, literally nothing has changed but the baby's address Yesterday, killing the baby was fine because it's, it, it lived in the womb. Today, it's valuable because it lives in West Des Moines. So the magical timeline of baby's value for pro-abortion advocates is ridiculous. The baby's life, human life, either matters always or never. That's it. The issue of pro-abortion people is they have this ever-changing system of value. Not valuable a day before a certain week mark, but infinitely valuable the next day. 
Not valuable if mum doesn't want the baby, but of infinite value if she does. The line that they have to draw to get there, it starts like this. It goes, there's, you know, there's, there's not valuable and valuable. And, and the line goes, Right? It's insanity. The biblical and the ethical position on life is so much easier. Life is valuable always in all circumstances. It's so much easier. It's not like this. It's just straight line. Let's protect life. Valuable always. Pro-life. Womb to the tomb. Amen. So here's what we got to do. We got to talk about this because the world has gone crazy and abortion laws uh, are not getting easier in general, okay? Like the Texas thing, that was awesome. I'm really praying that that happens in every state in America. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I pray that happens in every state in America. While also enhancing and increasing services to women who are keeping children that they don't want so they can adopt it out so they don't fail their studies, so their lives aren't destroyed, but the baby and the mother thrive. Do both. Amen. So this month, the next month in big November, we'll write a big check to, to Ruth Harbour, local pregnancy help agency here. We'll do that. But I hope those laws spread like wildfire. It's not, that's not what's happening in the around the world though. So what should Christians do about abortion? Number one, help people get saved and understand God's plan for marriage and for family. 85% of abortions happen to babies conceived out of marriages. That's 45 million. No, no, about 50 million of them, right? Happen to children conceived outside of marriage. I, I think we need to get more people saved, right? And we need to boldly stand on the truth. The truth that wrong is wrong and God's grace is infinite, right? We need to be soul winners because I really do believe that when someone comes to church and they give their life to Christ they're not asking us to affirm all of the world's uh, ideologies and all of the world's opinions what they want is they're coming into church and they're seeking the truth of the word of God and they're seeking God's plan for their lives and when we preach the truth and when we bring them into the family they say yes Yes, Lord, this is hard, but I want your word. I want to live my life your way. I believe that's what you want. I believe that's what they want. I believe that's what new Christians want. So we need to win the lost, amen? We need to get fired up. More souls saved equals less bad things. Now, of course, we should help with pregnancy support centers and resources, but listen, everyone agrees on that. The world agrees on that. Pro-abortion advocates agree that if a woman is choosing to keep the baby, that we should support her and help her and make sure that she can do that, right? Like the world agrees with that. Everybody agrees that we should support um, pregnancy and single mom help centers. But I'm not here to talk about what we agree with the world on. I'm here to talk about the awkward stuff that we're not united with the world today, all right? We do that, all that stuff all the time, but today we're here to talk about the awkward stuff, all right? So listen to me. Number two, you should fight for life. Do not be ashamed to speak up and be an outspoken pro-lifer. 
Do not be ashamed to speak up and be outspoken. I am pro-life. I don't care if you want to call me a, a, a bigot. I don't care if you want to call me names. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel or the chains. I'm going to stand up and speak up for the Word of God, for God's plan, and I'm going to speak up for those children. Amen. <clears throat> Man, the world will give you some messed up, weird labels when you speak up for the truth, won't they? Like just, you hear them all the time, you know. Uh, this, just the last couple of weeks, I've even heard people say that, that Texas abortion law is equivalent of the Taliban. Hands up if you heard that crap in the last couple of weeks, you saw that. I'm like, uh, what? So the people saying don't kill babies are the same as the people in Afghanistan killing women? The world love to mess with language and call things that are not and put right for wrong and wrong for right. Call me what you want, but his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The burden was heavy when I was trying to keep you happy. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Listen to me. There is no more poor and needy in voices than a baby in a womb in a hostile world. They cannot march. They cannot vote. They cannot fight. So it's our place. We must fight to defend the innocent and the vulnerable. Amen. We live in a nation where it's open season on babies in the womb, but it's harder to legally kill a deer in our country than a baby in the womb. When my kids are 12, I'm going to take them all hunting, right? All of them. So Judah's 12 now, so they get to go. Uh, he's going to come with me. He hunt. But listen, I know some of you are like, you hunt? Oh my gosh, did you eat a cheeseburger? Shut up. <laughs> Why go hunting when you can get it from the supermarket? <laughs> Sweetheart, did you know where that came from? Anyway. So I think it's good for a young man to go hunting and realize the value of life so they realize what it means to take a life and then don't do that to a person so I'm taking my boys at 12 and Judah's gone this year he's known for years that that him and I are going I'm probably going to make him eat the heart because you know that's what that's what my parents made me do when I did so I'm doing to him what they did to me but whatever but anyway we'll cook it though I'm not crazy like them but we're getting sidetracked (laughs) So I'm taking my son Judah to shoot his first deer this year. But you know that we've got to go through more hoops to shoot that deer than Lauren and I would have had to go through if we wanted to kill Judah before he was born. Did you know that? that? Does that seem right? Like, let's get real, hey? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I don't care what you did yesterday, but I do care about what you're going to do tomorrow. And I'm here to help you make a better decision tomorrow. Amen. But now I'm going to get real controversial and say something that I have never said in church before. After preaching 30 minutes of something I've never preached in church before. But let me say something that you might not have ever thought you'd hear me say. The third thing that you can do and that you should as a believer, I'm telling you, you should vote pro-life every time don't vote for pro-abortion candidates 
Now, I'm not going to tell you who you should specifically vote for. You need to study the Word of God, pray and follow the Holy Spirit's guidance. But I will tell you who not to vote for. Don't vote for people who are pro-abortion. <clears throat> all right? Don't do that. All right? Now, listen to me. I'm telling you right now. I'm not telling you which party to vote for. I would vote hands down for a pro-life Democrat over a pro-life Republican every single day of the week. All right? Every day of the week. And I would also vote for a pro-life Republican over a pro, over a pro, did I say both of them the same? Let me start that again. I would vote for a pro-life Democrat over a pro-choice, pro-abortion Republican every day of the week. And I would vote for a pro-life Republican over a pro-abortion Democrat every day of the week, every time, all the time. I'm telling you right now, I would. Now, everybody, most people know, oh, you know, again, you follow me on social media, you know, like I'm like, freedom, yay! So like, and, but then particularly like biblical conservative morals, uh, that, that's me, right? Now, you're welcome here if you vote Democrat. You're welcome here if you vote Republican. You're welcome here if you vote Independent. Personally, I tend to be a little bit more conservative on a biblical moral kind of perspective. But I'm telling you right now, I believe that even, even having said that, even though I care the freedom and all these other things, I love it. I moved from Australia, which is super commie right now. I'm glad I live in America. I'm pro-freedom. But I would vote for a pro-life Democrat over a pro-choice Republican, hands down, every day of the week. And they do exist. There are pro-life Democrats and there are pro-abortion Republicans. All right? I'm telling you, I'm pro-life. Womb to the tomb, baby. Amen? Womb to the tomb. If abortion, this is why I say that. If abortion were illegal, it would be harder to get, less babies would be killed, less mothers would be traumatized. And if you're like, well, there are a lot of other issues in the world, you know what, you're right. And I, I, I've got a lot of other things I care about too. And I told you I'd flip parties for, for, for this one. I would, right? Because listen to me, if you think it's not a big deal, do you know how many abortions have, a, have, have been recorded, just recorded in the United States since Roe v. Wade? Since 1973, more than 60 million children have been aborted in the United States. 60 million. That's 10 holocausts worth of people killed in 60 years. Can I tell you right now, I know there's a lot of things going on in America, but there is not any other injustice in American history that could even come close to, six, sorry, to 10 holocausts. At one point, pro-choice advocate Bill Clinton said, abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Can I tell you, 60 million babies killed is not rare. That is not rare. That ain't rare. You know, in, in, in New York, if you love diversity, did you know in New York that more black babies are aborted than born? I want more black people in my church and in this country. I want more white people in my church and in this country. I want more Hispanic people, more Asian people, more Native American people. I even want more redheads in my church. You know I'm a gracious man. Come on. Are these numbers sad? Is this heartbreaking? 
You know, Margaret Sanger, who started Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood will tell you this, it's on their website. She was into eugenics and her whole purpose was to get rid of black people. Did you know that? You can Google that. You can Google that. And see that on real news sites. They'll tell you they're not about that anymore. But I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Okay, should we start celebrating the KKK if they decide they're like black people tomorrow and start telling us that, but still kill more of them than white people? Are you kidding me? No. There's some evil things going on in this world. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? Is it all right that we talk about what we're talking about instead of going around the edge? You know, is that all right? I like people. I hate it when we get into identity politics instead of just talking about, I like people. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every color, every creed, come on. I want to tell you a story that'll help you understand what God thinks when we sit back and do nothing about abortion. Matthew 27. I told you we're going to go over time today, so please, thank you. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to make plans for putting Jesus to death. This is Matthew 27. They bound him. They led him away. They took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. The governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you, Jesus or Barabbas? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas! And Pilate responded, then what shall I do with Jesus, called the Messiah? And they all shouted back, crucify him! Pilate goes, why? What crime has he committed? He's innocent. But the crowd, the mob, someone say, but the mob, the mob roared louder and they said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere with the mob and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and he washed his hands before the crowd and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. You do what you want with him. The responsibility is yours. Pilate was facing an angry mob just like we face today when we stand up for Jesus and when we stand up for what's right. You know when you stand up for what's right, when you stand up for Jesus, that you know you face an angry mob, don't you? Right? Online, on the street, wherever you are, you face an angry mob. Just like Nehemiah building the wall, doing what God called him to do, he had to take a trowel and a sword. We got the sword of the Spirit, amen? It's what we're helping reinforce and sharpen while we're talking about hot topics. Here's the thing, Pilate looked past literally the living Word standing in front of him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. His name was Jesus. Pilate literally had the Word, the living Word standing in front of him, and he chose to look past the Word and let an innocent person be killed. He did what was in his best interest to save his own skin and to make his own life easier. But to soothe his conscience, he washed his hands. And he said, it's not my fault, it's yours. You do what you want. Personally, I wouldn't have an abortion, but you can do what you want. I'm just pro your choice. Here's the hammer. A pro-choice Christian is just like Pilate. They look right past the living Word of God and the hundreds and the massive evidence in the Word of God 
they look right past the living word of God and they say, yeah, the victim's innocent, but I'm just going to do whatever protects me from the angry mob. I'm just going to do whatever makes my life easier and to soothe my conscience. They'll they'll, they'll blame someone else and wash their hands of the victim's blood. It's heartbreaking. One thing we do in the world is we try to hijack other people's slogans. Have you noticed that? My body, my choice. Now we're like, my body, my choice. You know, <laughs> pro-choice. I'm pro-choice. Do you know, you know what we do? Like hijack each other's slogans. And I get it. You know, I think what we try to do is we try to, you know, redeem, <clears throat> a, uh, you know, some, some good words maybe. And I was having an argument with somebody. And I said, well, Jesse, you're pro-choice when it comes to the vaccines. You say it yourself all the time that everyone is welcome in your church, vaccinated or unvaccinated. Everyone's welcome in our church, masked or unmasked, right? Which, by the way, that, that travels really well because you're welcome in our church, vaccinated, and you're, you're welcome in our church, unvaccinated, and you're welcome in our church having had an abortion, and you're welcome in our church having not had an abortion. So it actually travels very consistently, really, really well. But they said, Jesse, you're pro-choice there, so why not here as well? And they said that, that they said to me that by allowing unvaccinated people to come to church, that they could kill someone. Well, having said that, by the way, there is evidence to support the fact that vaccinated people can and do still spread the virus. But if you're vaccinated, you're good, right? So, you know, right? Like, you know, and so I'm like, well, again, this is what they do, right? Let's use outliers, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, all right. So I just said, all right, let's just say your proposition is true. Let's just, let's just pretend it's true. Man, I don't know what the very small chances are that I have actually got COVID right now. I think in the United States, the chances that I have COVID right now are something like 0.003% or something like that. But very, 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 very bloody low, right? It's a small chance. And it's a very small chance that I'm contagious right now. And then the chances that I give that to you is very low. And the chances that the person I give it to dies from COVID is like 0.02%. So I don't know what 0.3 by the chance of me giving it to someone, by the chance, by the 0.02 chance that they die. I don't know what that equals, but I know this. It's really, 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 really freaking low. Right? Like, again, that's CDC science right there, right? So let's pretend that it's true, that allowing unvaccinated people to stay unvaxxed and to have them in church, let's pretend that that's true. But the world loves their outliers, don't they? Like 0.001, infinitely small chance. Infinitely small chance of trying to make ungodly laws based on them. All right, I'll give you that tiny small chance. But the problem is, even if that's true, the problem is every abortion kills someone. We're not trying to figure out the chances of someone dying in the abortion. We don't have to do backflips to get there. Every abortion kills a human person. I don't like fighting these ridiculously made-up scenarios. What if this and what if that? And can we draw a line that goes all the way down there? You know, We're talking about the stage, but someone else is like, yeah, but the brick in the back corner doesn't match. I don't care about the brick. We're talking about the stage, right? But what if they and white man, old man, black man, Asian man, oh my gosh. These 0.0001, cool, 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 cool. Listen, every abortion takes a life. And this Friday, I was thinking about it as I went to sleep. I laid down. I started, did you ever like dream on purpose? 
Like, you know, like when you're young, you're like, I'm a dream. I've got a million dollars and what I would do. And you think about that, you know. <clears throat> I do that with all sorts of things. Sometimes I do it with a sermon or whatever else. And I was just thinking about the 60 million babies we've lost, who they might have been, where they might have lived, what they might have built, what they might have done, the influence for the kingdom of God they could have had. Perhaps some of them might have hurt others, but what redemptive work could God have done in them still? started to think about how much bigger America is now than it was 60 years ago. So I thought about the at least 100 to 200 million babies that we could save over the next 50 to 60 years, who they might be, what they might do, how they might serve God. I even thought about the babies that will be born because some amazing young woman heard this sermon today, heard this sermon in this room and was like, I'm going to choose the tough road that ends with life instead of the easy road that ends with death. What that might do. I just began to weep. Why do we let people trick us with outliers and made up scenarios when we can just go with the word of God and receive the truth? So let me start to wrap this up as you stand up for me. Thank you so much for your kindness. Stick around though. This wasn't let's all stand up so you can go to the toilet. This was let's all stand up so we can have response time. All right. One thing I've had my whole life is a bladder. I know it won't break when you wait too long. All right. And you'll be fine. I know I joke about that a lot, but seriously, we'll be fine. We can, we can get uncomfortable for the Lord. I want to give you this verse. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. When it comes to hot topics, are God's views guiding your views or are you working really hard with a heavy weight trying to stuff God into your political agenda. The Bible is pro-life and God is pro-life. Amen. I want to pray for people who have had abortions. And in a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads. And then when we do that, listen to me, do not look around. It's very rude in a moment like this when people are dealing with really tough stuff. It's very rude to look around, okay? Extremely rude. We're going to give people privacy so they can have an encounter with God without worrying about what you think of them, okay? I'm going to do that in a moment. And I'm not going to tell your husband that you put your hand up. And I'm not going to come and talk to you ever about it. If you don't come and talk to me about it, I won't ever come and talk to you about it. Okay? We're just going to pray for healing. Okay? That's it. So if you're struggling with the shame of an abortion, know this. Truth and grace, yes, the abortion was sin. It was wrong. But the shame that you carry has not come from God. Shame comes from the enemy. 
So today we're going to pray for you that God's love would drive out all shame, that you could live free of shame tomorrow, but full of a testimony of truth, love, grace, and God's goodness in your life. <clears throat> At the end of the service, we're going to give people an opportunity to give their lives to Christ. Again, the service has probably about four, four or five more minutes max left, so just bear with us. See, some of you came to church today. You maybe don't know Jesus, and you came here to see what a church might say about abortion, right? And, uh, and maybe you're surprised. You're like, oh, these people aren't mean. They just really are convicted in what they believe based on the Word of God that babies need to be protected. And science too. We love baby. Like I said, we got five of them, you know? And you just might be surprised. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ today as well. We'll do that at the end. But before I do that, what I want to do is pray for people who have had abortions. I also want to open this this opportunity of prayer open to, um, to men. There are men, and there were men in the other services too. There are men who maybe, maybe you, were, you, you were thinking of yourself and you pressured um, someone else into having an abortion. And you recommended they go that way, or you told them to do that, and you've been carrying the shame and the weight of that abortion yourself. And again, I want to say to you as well, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I want to pray that God would release you of that shame and that condemnation so that tomorrow you can do better. Amen? So that tomorrow you can do better. So if everyone could close their eyes and bow their heads, everyone in the room, everyone, and remember, don't be rude, be kind. If you've had an abortion, if you're a woman and you've had an abortion and you still carry some shame or pain from that and you want God to use it to do good things, um, I want to pray for you. And also if you're a man and you, and you pressured someone to go that way or you told someone to do that and you carry a shame too, I want to pray for healing in your life as well. So on the count of three, while not one single person at all is looking around, I want you to lift up your hand. One, two, three. Put your hand up right now. Keep it up for a second. No one's looking. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, you can put your hands down. Seven, eight. I didn't see those other two hands. Got them in the corner of my eye. Eight people. Now what I want you to do, everyone can open their eyes and look up. See, there's things we need to do. We need to do faith steps. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and that was a massive faith step where just putting your hand up was step one, overcoming the shame. Okay, saying, no, 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 it doesn't matter what people think. I want God to do a miracle in my life. Amen. See, what, what, see that's the thing. If, if we don't overcome the shame, she, the devil puts shame on you so that you have to stay there and keep trying to justify the sin. But, when we, but instead, when we say, no, God, I know that was wrong. God, help me to do better tomorrow. We can walk away from that justification. Let God justify us. Amen. And so what I want you to do is put your hand on the person next to you. All right. If there's someone, if you're not near anyone, just walk across and yep there we go just like that put your hand on now some of those people are some of the eight people that lifted up their hands and some of those people and but most of you are people who, who weren't one of them so you might be praying for somebody next to you I don't know or you might just be standing in unity with somebody and believing for the breakthrough in the other people's lives but scripture says lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed and I believe that there's a sickness in these eight people a sickness of shame and pain and regret and we want it gone in the name of Jesus amen so come on let's pray Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. 
unending grace found in you. And God, I thank you that there is therefore now no shame. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, these people are beautiful, wonderful believers, Lord God. And so we rebuke the enemy. We rebuke him and his shame and the pain that he's causing in their lives. And we rebuke him for the way he led them astray that day, Lord God. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you break off, break off the shame, break off that pain, break off that regret off their lives, that they would stop living in shame, trying to justify, but instead they'd be able to say, God, thank you for forgiveness. Help me to be a testimony moving forward. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that where there has been shame, you would put hope. God, there is a hope in them that when they get to heaven, they will see those children again. And in heaven, there won't be tears. There won't be gnashing of teeth. There won't be regret. There won't be pain. It won't be hard. It will be joy, 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 joy. So God, I thank you for that day, that that day is coming in the name of Jesus. But even now while we wait, I pray that you would turn that trial and that terrible moment into a testimony of the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God in their lives. In their lives, in the name of Jesus. I pray right now, God, for release. Release, Holy Spirit, just touch their hearts right now. Holy Spirit, just fall on them, touch their hearts. Just release, release, release in the name of Jesus, release. Thank you, Lord God. Come on, everybody say amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Pro-life, womb to the tomb. And I'm pro your life no matter what you've done. Amen. God is good. Hey, lastly, before we wrap up, um, at the very end, if you want prayer for boldness to stand on your convictions, not let the mob tell you what to do, not let the mob silence you. See, Pilate, he didn't just, he didn't do it, but he, he, he was silent in the face of it. And that's what many of us have been for many years. Christians have been silent. And so the world thinks we're with them, but we're not. We're for the world, but we're not with them. Come on. Amen. But so, um, so you can come down the front for boldness. You can come down the front for prayer for anything, marriage, finances, healing, anything in your life. Come down. We always have prayer. Um, but what I want to do right now before we close up, uh, and again, thank you for your patience. Right now, I want to pray for people who don't know Jesus. All right. Now, we've talked a lot about grace today. This is not about condemning you for yesterday, but releasing you into a greater tomorrow. Amen. And uh, so I don't really need to say much other than this. Pray with me right now. Scripture says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. So I'm going to pray this prayer. I want you to repeat it after me one line at a time. Uh, This is a prayer where you give your life to Christ. Just repeat what I say. And you won't be alone because the person next to you is going to pray it as well. We all pray it together in unity so that you don't have to worry about praying it alone. Okay? So we're all praying it. And we also like to reaffirm to the devil that he can't touch this. No, 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 can't touch this. Nah. Anyway, so we're all going to pray it together because we like to remind him that he sucks and we, we're not worried. We're not scared of him. Amen. And so I want everybody to pray this prayer, but especially those who are away from Christ and those who have never had a relationship with him, especially you. Repeat after me, dear God, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on a cross, paid the price for my sin. And He rose again to give me life, hope, joy, peace, and eternal life. I receive all of that. I receive this new life free of shame. I receive your forgiveness 
for my sin. And I ask for your help to live this new life the way you designed it. Help me to pursue goodness, godliness, grace and mercy all the days of my life. Help me to walk away from the sin, the shame and the pain of my past that I might become all you desire me to be. I give you my life. You're my Lord and my Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Well, thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, be sure to check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, please visit MyEternity.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps. Thank you.